Welcome to the Refined Collective Podcast. I'm your host, Kat Harris. This podcast is designed to hold space for honest conversations. From purity culture to faith, sexuality, relationships, identity, culture, deconstruction, and more. My hope is to look doubt in the face, be curious, seek God, and ask meaningful questions to address any elephant in the room with openness, nuance, and grace. I won't pretend to be an expert and definitely don't have all the answers. And though it may feel easier and more comfortable to exist in the black and white, I invite you to discover God with me in the gray and unexpected spaces. So whoever you are, whatever you do or don't believe, you are welcome here and have a seat at this table. Make sure you're subscribed to the Refined Collective Podcast on iTunes. So each week when a new episode drops, it'll download straight to those devices. And while you're at it, if you feel so inclined, leave us a five-star rating and written review. It would be so helpful to get our message out there. All right, let's go ahead and get to it. Welcome to the Refined Collective Podcast. I am your host, Kat Harris, and a special thank you and shout out to Newsstand Studio here at One Rock Center. Thank you for producing and sponsoring this episode of the Refined Collective. If you want to stay connected to Rockefeller, check them out on Twitter at Rock Center NYC or on the Instagrams at Rockefeller Center. Also, thank you to my lovely Patreon community. I say it week in, week out. This is the space on the internet, my little corner of online virtual community that is so sacred and special to me. We have live monthly coaching calls on Zoom where we together talk about our doubts, faith questions, questions about sex, questions really about everything. I offer on-the-spot coaching. I have exclusive VIP videos just for the Patreon fam. Recently, I launched a response to the Hillsong docuseries that came out on Discovery+. Plus. I have exclusive video content on Jesus and LGBTQ plus issues. And honestly, it's a space where I post conversations that I'm not quite ready to share with you guys on the podcast, but I want to work out in community. So come hang out, patreon.com slash The Refined Collective. It's $5 to join this awesome community. Now, last week, I introed a new series on deconstruction and unpacked the question, what is deconstruction? Like what in the world are we even talking about when we talk about deconstruction? And how do I know when I'm experiencing it? You'll have to listen to the whole episode to really get into the nitty gritty. But my answer in a nutshell is deconstruction is having the courage to be willing to do your own damn work. Don't take your pastor's word for it. Don't take some mentor's word for it. You do your work. You research, you ask, you wrestle, you struggle. I offered some super practical questions you can move through in order to identify if you're in a space of deconstruction and how to begin a healthy journey through it. And I also offered a few resources that have been super supportive to me. So go ahead and check that out. Today's episode, we're continuing the dialogue on deconstruction, asking the question, can I completely deconstruct my faith and still be a Christian? Let's get into it. During the summer, when I was a little kid, we'd wake up in the morning, 
pack peanut butter and jelly sandwiches and slice up some red delicious apples, which I absolutely hate red delicious, anyone else. (laughs) We'd grab our towels, sunscreen, and goggles and head to the local pool and stay there the whole day. My mom was a stay-at-home mom with four small kids, and this was literally one of the cheapest activities we could do all day where we'd all be entertained for hours on end. As soon as we'd get to the pool, I'd slap on sunscreen as fast as I could, put on my goggles, and jump right into the pool, instantly making some new best friend for the day. One of my favorite things to do was to have competitions with my brand new best friends for the day to see how many front flips in a row I could do underwater in one breath. (laughs) If you're wondering, yeah, I came out of the womb competitive. And yes, it is exhausting to be me. I do not know why I am like this. But I'd take this huge deep breath, plug my nose, close my eyes, and dive into the water and start flipping around as fast as I could. One flip, I'm good. Two flips, I'm feeling confident. Can I make a third? Yeah, but my breath is starting to wane and the adrenaline is starting to pump. Let's go for one more, cat. You can do it. By the fourth flip, sometimes I'd make it and sometimes I'd just have to admit defeat and come up gasping for air. But sometimes... I'd take it a little too far. I'd be mid-flip and panic would start to rise. Oh my gosh, if I don't surface right now, I think I'm gonna die. I need air. Where's the light? Where's up? Where's down? And in my panic, I'd forget where I was. I'd become completely disoriented. Is this how it all ends? The drama queen that I was. I'd abandon my flips and just start flailing my arms and legs all over the place. And at what would feel like the last possible moment, a toe would breach the air, which would finally lead me to the surface. Then back to the surface, I'd gasp for breath after what felt like my near-death experience open my eyes, and once again be in a pool surrounded by thousands of kids who seem to have no idea that I was just in a complete crisis. How could I be surrounded by so many people yet feel completely alone in my crisis? It made me feel this shame as a child, and I felt so alone in those moments. This is what much of my deconstruction process has felt like a fun little experiment at first, and then complete flailing, losing sight of which way is up and which way is down and feeling completely disorienting. I sent a text to a friend. What happens when you're about to launch a very Christian book and you don't know if you're a Christian anymore? My friend texts me back. Sounds like a good subtitle for a very different book number two. I sent that text message on April 1st, 2021, 19 days before my book, Sexless in the City, was set to launch. I was in a complete faith crisis. Now I can look back a year out and know, man, I was entering into a massive phase of deconstruction. But at the time, I felt like I was in the middle of flip number four and completely out of oxygen. And it felt as though it was the most inconvenient time in my entire life to be publicly flailing, although I felt as though I couldn't publicly flail. I had a book to promote, and I didn't even know if I still believed the message of that book. I didn't know how to be honest with you about that. I didn't know how to be honest with my publishers. I didn't know how to be honest with myself. It felt so personal because it is so personal. 
I resented myself for having a platform that centered on my faith. Why can't I just like be a photographer and no one care about what I do or do not believe about God? One of the most disorienting experiences and moments in this whole process for me was actually giving oxygen to my doubts and questions. In almost 20 years of being a Christian, I had never uttered the words, what if I'm no longer a Christian? In fact, I didn't even utter those words out loud. I safely sent them in a text message to a friend because if I said them out loud, I didn't know what that would mean for my life. Who am I if I'm not a Christian? How does that impact my heart, soul, and body, but also my day-to-day life, my community, my friendships, my entire platform that somehow now revolves around me being a Christian? What about dating and who I should date? What about sex? If I'm not a Christian anymore, if I'm questioning this whole thing, why the hell am I not having sex? The question that I look at now is, how did I get to this point of faith crisis? I think that's an important question to ask because often when we wake up and find ourselves in this moment of crisis or deconstruction, we're in the middle of our fourth flip and we don't know which way is up and which way is down. But if we learn to pause in that and get curious, how did I get here? Why did I get here? And I don't know if you resonate with this, but when I look around, it seems as though everyone else and their mom is also deconstructing their faith right now. So how did you get to being in a space of questioning, in a space of doubt, in a space of deconstruction? How did I get there? Well, my pastor in New York City for years, John Tyson, would consistently talk about this moment. You may have heard me mention it in past episodes. I talk about it in my book, this moment called the crystallization of discontent. Now, the crystallization of discontent is this moment in our lives of no turning back. It's the moment once you see something and you can no longer unsee it. <laughs> it's, it's almost a rock bottom moment where you reach the point of no return. I can no longer not see X, Y, Z. I can no longer ignore A, B, C. I have to look at it. I am forever changed. There is my life before this moment and now my life after this moment. This is the crystallization of discontent. Now, if we look at the past few years of our lives individually and globally, I believe on a global scale, we are experiencing a massive crystallization of discontent culturally, spiritually. Let's just run through it. In the past five, 10 years, more and more sex scandals have been exposed in the church than ever in history. We have the Jerry Falwell Juniors, the Carl Lentzes, the Brian Houstons, the Ravi Zacharias's, the Dave Ramsey cover-up. We have faith mothers like Beth Moore being publicly belittled by John MacArthur and her finally saying, no, I am done. We have an entire generation born from the purity culture who are now adults and married and divorced and realizing that purity message did not work. The fruit of that message is rotten. 
we not only began, but hopefully have really seen and experienced the fallout of conversion therapy for those who identify as LGBTQ+. So Christian-wise, for me, in the last few years, the more and more I saw, I finally got to a point where I could no longer in integrity ignore what had made me so uncomfortable for so many years the lack of integrity of the church leaders giving me a message that they were unable to live up to. Now, we also see on a global scale, let's just talk about a few things that have happened in the last few years. We have had the most contentious election cycle of, I believe, my lifetime. So if you're a millennial or younger, The 2016 election was disillusioning for many people, but 2020, I believe, was the crystallization of discontent in our culture on whatever side of the conversation you're at politically cemented things for people. Then we had, I don't know, a global pandemic that none of us have ever experienced in our entire lifetime that shut down the world as we knew it. We had police brutality cases of George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, Ahmaud Arbery, and those are just a few. We had the masks versus no masks debate, the vaccines versus anti-vaxxers, and now what about that booster? We had the January 6th of 2021 government insurrection, and now we might be on the verge of World War III? Something snapped in me in the last few years. I can no longer go on as is. And I don't know if you feel that way. I think some of us are wondering, why am I doubting now? Why am I deconstructing? Why does it seem like so many people are leaving the church and not coming back? Why, after the pandemic seems to be, quote unquote, moving on and we can go back to the church, why are so many of us not? For me, I grieve how long I stayed in the comfort of my church community knowing that there were problematic systems in place harming my brothers and sisters of color and my brothers and sisters in the LGBTQ plus community and even my own gender. I was comfortable, so I stayed. And as long as I played nice, I had a seat at the table and I didn't want to lose my seat at the table. I wanted to belong. But the crystallization of discontent We are in the midst of a global reckoning and it's showing, not just in our deconstructions, but in our loneliness and even more so in our lack of compassion for those on the other side. Let me say it like this. The proverbial shit has hit the fan globally. If millions of people weren't entering into some sort of faith crisis or deconstruction, I would think they're asleep at the wheel of their life. Brian Zond in his book, When Everything is on Fire, which yes, is the book I quoted throughout last week's episode, and I will continue to quote this book, says, being angry at modern people for losing their faith is like being angry with medieval people dying of the plague. Let me say that again. Being angry at modern people for losing their faith is like being angry with medieval people dying of the plague. Sit with that for a minute. So what do we do when everything feels like it's on fire? You're like, cat, great. Now I know why we're all losing our faith and losing our minds. What do we do? 
Do you remember the first TRC episode of 2022? In it, I shared some of my financial goals for this podcast. As you've heard me say before, having a podcast is expensive, and ads make it possible for me to make this podcast a reality. Podcorn is a company that has been helping me reach those goals. Once you sign up for the platform, you can see loads of brands that are interested in purchasing ad spots. You can send pitches directly to the brand, choose the air dates you want to schedule the ad spots for, and your rate for each ad spot. Podcore not only is a huge help to podcasts of all sizes by giving them opportunities and control over their rates, but they are also directly supporting my podcast by sponsoring this episode. So a huge thank you to Podcorn. Explore sponsorship opportunities and start monetizing your podcast by signing up at the link in this episode's show notes or go to podcorn.com slash podcasters. What do we do when everything feels like it's on fire and when you've lost which way is up and down? I'm going to give you three things as if three things can fix this for you, but let's just go there. Number one, discern what's really happening here. For me a year ago, when I sent that text to my friend, what happens if I'm not a Christian anymore? There was one thing I didn't understand. The one thing I didn't understand is there's a big difference between Christianity or Christendom and the church and Jesus. Those are three separate things. Primarily when many of us are going through an existential crisis, a faith crisis, a deconstruction, doubts, whatever you want to call it. What I have found for myself and many of the people in my community is that we don't necessarily have a problem with Jesus, but we have massive problems with the structures of the church and the systems of Christianity. To be able to disentangle those three from each other have been very supportive for me. And I didn't just make that up on my own. Yes, that is from Brian Zond and his book, When Everything's on Fire. And reading that was like a light bulb went off in my brain. Oh, yeah. When I actually read in the scriptures about who Jesus is, this is, this is what I told my friend in the last year. I said, you know, Jesus is still the story I'm willing to be wrong about. Jesus is revolutionary. When I read about who Jesus is, I'm like, shit, I want to I wanna follow that dude. I want to know more about that way of life. And the more I've, I've come back to Jesus, I've been able to disentangle the trauma of the church and the pain of Christianity. Number two, Thinking of our faith as a theological house. Everyone's house is a little different unless you live in one of those copy-paste neighborhoods, which let's be real, often evangelical Christian culture is like being in one of those copy-paste neighborhoods, right? But even still, you go into those homes and, all right, one of the walls might be painted this way, or that's what you did with your office. Oh, my office is actually a baby room. So not only is everyone's theological house a little different, but, you know, we get to times in our lives after we've lived in our house for a while and we say, huh, I don't like that wall color anymore. Or you know what? I don't even like that room. That room isn't working for me at all. That needs to be demolished. Or you know what? I like that bathroom, but it needs a little update. It needs to have a little renovation. 
When I began my deconstruction process, I felt as though my entire house was on fire and everything needed to be burned to the ground. I was like the girl with a cigarette in my mouth, like, let's just blow the whole thing up because <laughs> I was pissed. I was angry. Again, because once you see, you can't unsee. It's as though you find out you had black mold in your house and you just want to get rid of it all instantly instead of pausing. Okay, hold on here. What part of this house is still working? The frame and the structure maybe is filled with termites. Maybe the frame and structure completely does need to be taken down and rebuilt. But often we just need to renovate a few rooms, take away a few things here and there. And frankly, a lot of us do have things that actually don't even need to be touched at all. So look at your theological house. Give space for everyone's house being a little different. It's okay if they're at a place where their house feels fine. It's okay if you need to do some massive renovating. It's okay if you need to move houses and neighborhoods. And finally, number three, be honest. I've talked about this a lot in the last few months because when I took my podcast break last year, in complete burnout. And what I hadn't told you yet (laughs) was that not only was I in complete burnout, but I was in complete faith crisis. And I thought, if I just take a little few week break from recording a podcast, I'll figure my whole entire existential crisis out and be able to wrap it up in a tiny little bow and it'll be all good. And it wasn't. And I prayed and I prayed and I prayed and often I felt the only answer I got from God was silence. And then finally, the one phrase that I felt as though I heard was be honest. Be honest. What I'm seeing is there's not a lot of people publicly owning their doubts. I read Rob Bell's book, Everything is Spiritual, a month ago. And in this book, he talks about when he was a pastor, he started meeting with all these other pastors globally, the more he was writing books and getting asked to speak at conferences. And he'd see these powerhouse, quote unquote, celebrity pastors preaching down the house in front of 50, 60,000 people in stadiums, and then afterwards have private conversations with them. And they would say, I'm reading this book right now, but I I can't tell anyone on my staff that I'm reading it because if they found out the questions I'm really asking, I'd be out of a job. And Bell says that over and over and over again, he heard that same story. And I read that and I thought, that's one of the things that's wrong here. We have thought if you have a platform, if you are speaking publicly, if you are a leader, you have to have all the answers. But I think all that does is perpetuate a cycle that puts our leaders in the place of God. I'm not God. I'm human. I'm 36 years old. I know pretty much nothing. So what is it to hold space for each other to actually be honest with where we're at? I have less answers for you than I've ever had before, but I am more committed than ever than being honest with you about my process.
And I wonder if that's all we really need. Instead of needing someone to give us the three steps and the framework, what if we really need a fellow sojourner who says, hey, this is what I'm asking. This is what I don't know if I believe anymore. Can you be with me in it? Maybe we don't need to be fixed. Maybe we just need the presence of someone else's honest heart as well. Last year, when I texted my friend, that was the first time in my life I had ever given myself the permission to doubt with another person. Am I still a Christian? You see, it had been a question swirling in my brain for years. It was one of those thoughts that would just come up. And as soon as it would come up, I would think, that's the devil, that's demonic. No, no, Satan, not today. That's just doesn't belong in my brain. That thought's not for me. I wouldn't even allow myself to play with the thought in my head, let alone tell another soul, because it was scary. But I have found so much freedom in saying these things out loud. You see, the me 10 years ago would think that the me today is probably a heretic. <laughs> the me today definitely needs saving. We need to really reach out to Kat because she is struggling in her faith and let's invite her to 10 more Bible studies. And you know what? I have space for my younger self. And maybe I'm not a Christian anymore. I am definitely not who I was 10 years ago. But maybe, just maybe, I'm a more honest and true Christian than I've ever been in my entire life. Maybe now I'm a truer seeker of Jesus or follower of Jesus than I've ever given myself permission to be. Because if I look back on my faith walk, what I see so much, and I have compassion for myself in this, as I hope you do as well, as I see I've been so much more concerned with what other Christians think of me than what my God is inviting me into. But all is not lost. Far from it. Even when everything seems to be on fire, Faith is still possible. Faith does not have to perish in the ashes of theological deconstruction. There is a way forward. The Apostle Paul speaks of a faith that is more precious than gold because it has been refined by fire. Yes, that's Brian's aunt. <laughs> you can completely deconstruct your faith and still love Jesus. So how do we move forward from here? How do we process? Here are a few reflection questions I would love to offer you. Write these down, journal them, grab a few friends, go grab a margarita and some chips and guac and process these together. Number one, what is the question you're afraid to ask? Or what is the doubt you're afraid to say out loud? Number two, there's a difference between Jesus, the church, and Christianity. Spend some time teasing out and processing where you're at with all three. What questions you have for each of these? Do you think there's a difference between the three? What are those differences? And finally, when you think of the theological house metaphor, 
Can you identify any rooms in your house worth saving? Which ones need to be renovated? Any need to be demolished and completely remodeled? And finally, I want to offer you a resource that has been super supportive to me. A book by Brian McLaren called Faith After Doubt. Now, next week, we're going to continue our deconstruction series. And the question we're asking is, what would Jesus do? Or how then shall we live? Okay, we know what deconstruction is. We know that we can really unpack and dismantle our faith and still be connected to Jesus. How does this practically look day to day? I'm going to unpack what are the different stages of faith and the idea that doubt isn't your enemy, but perhaps one of your greatest allies in growth. All right, until next week, talk to you soon.